time in our assembly when we're going to open up God's Word and study. Uh, it's actually going to be the last lesson in our Building Blocks series. And so right now I would invite you to open up your bulletin and pull out the sermon handout. Uh, moving forward, last lesson in the Building Blocks number 7 today. You can use it if, as we go through, make notes on it, um, maybe some things that you might want to study or think about later in the week. On the back is the MPG, which again, for those that are not uh, familiar with the MPG, MPG in the, in the, uh, the world means uh, miles per gallon. It's how far you can go on a gallon of gas. MPG for us is how far you can take the sermon down the road this next week. And so M stands for memorize. There's always a verse that's there for you to memorize. There's a P for prayer, suggestions for prayer time this week, as well as glorify. Typically there's an action or maybe some questions to answer as you think about the, the topic and the theme of the sermon and how it can be applied to your life in some more concrete ways. Now, one of the things that was always, always, always unacceptable in the family that I grew up in was settling for the minimum when it came to our education. So a report card day would come. I'd go home with a report card, not all A's, hand it to my parents. They would say, that's a pretty good report card. But then they would ask, did you do your best? Could you have done better? Did you do your best? And I go, hey, man, what do you want? I passed. You know, isn't that good enough? I passed. And they would say, well, if that's the best you can do, then yes. But if you can do better, then no. And they knew a really important truth about life that they were trying to get instilled in my thinking, my brother's thinking, and it's this. There is more to growing up than getting by. There is more to growing up than getting by. Same is true with marriage. Amen? Ladies, what would you do if your fiancé got down on one knee, took your hand into his, and asked, what is the absolute minimum requirement for me to stay married to you? What is the lowest level of commitment? What is the fewest number of daily affirmations you require? What is the least number of words that we need to speak to each other each day? What is the highest number of disappointments allowed? What is the highest level of ignorance possible? Now, don't answer that question. Now, there is, you know, when you think about marriage and license and all that, I mean, there is a legal status to marriage that only requires a signature on a piece of paper we call a license. But marriage, as created by God is a legal status where a growing and exclusive and intimate relationship is the perk. So here is a really big marriage truth. It takes more than the minimum requirements to build a great marriage, right? It takes more than the minimum requirements to build a great marriage. The same is true in our life of faith. The way that it is with education and with marriage in nearly every area of life, it's true with our life of faith. Have you ever heard somebody say, Hey, all that matters is I just get inside the door of heaven. I just get inside of the gates. Well, again, we're talking about minimum requirements, right? Which misses the whole point of salvation. Salvation is more than stopping something bad from happening to you. Salvation is about something miraculous that's going to happen inside of you. Being born again means growing up again. You're born as a baby in Christ, and from that day forward into the day that you see God face to face, 
you are growing up again into the adult likeness of Jesus. Now that brings us to the letter that we call Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it, but what we do know is that it was written to some Christians who are struggling with their faith. In fact, they're thinking about leaving their faith. And the problem is, is they they hit these rough spots in daily life that are requiring them to have a mature faith. They don't have it. They are not maturing. They are not growing up. And because that's true, it has become a liability to their faith. And so kind of right there in the middle of the book of Hebrews, we read chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word. Three words, all over again you need milk not solid food anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness but solid food is for the mature who by constant use circle those words on your outline who by constant use who by constant that means i mean just using it all the time right have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so there is a lot of truth in this statement that there is more to growing up in the faith and growing old. There is more to growing up in the faith of Jesus Christ than growing old. And that's why the author, immediately following Hebrews chapter 5, says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings of Christ about Christ again and again and again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, and believe me, church, God is willing. We will move forward. We will move on to further understanding. And so it has been that passage that has formed really the the basic text for our study. And there has been a theme statement that has gone along with it every week. The theme statement is this. You cannot attain maturity until you retain the elementary. They are your building blocks. As the building blocks are the, the curriculum you first received as an infant and, and as a little toddler, where you learned your colors and your one, two, threes and ABCs, these are the foundational building blocks of your faith. You take these and you move on to maturity. You cannot attain maturity until you retain the elementary. And as we've said before, there are six building blocks. These form the foundation to what it means to grow mature in our relationship with God, of becoming Christ-like in all things and living as a disciple of Jesus in the mission of God, His human project on earth. And so we're going to go over these one more time to make sure that they're solidly a part of our foundation in growing up to look like Jesus. Number one, repentance. Repenting, our definition of repentance is this. Repenting is reorienting. When you become a child of God, your life is on a completely new and different trajectory. You have repented. You stop moving away from God. You stop trying to put as much distance between you and God as possible. And you start moving toward God. 
That's repentance. Repentance literally means to change your mind, to change your direction. You're going this way and you change 180 degrees and you go that way. It's changing our directions. It's, it's coming to our senses in the far land like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and turning around and going back to the house of the Father. That's repentance. It's moving away from the very things that kill us, and not just kill the body, but kill the soul in order to move towards what saves us. It is repentance, the gift of repentance, that you can say, I'm off trajectory, and I can, I can change, I can adjust, I can get back on trajectory that makes faith possible. Repentance is what keeps you on the trajectory towards God. And as you know, and I know, we all know, in a world like this, it's easy to get off track. I mean, we live in a world that's fallen, and as long as it's a fallen world, there's going to be temptation. And as long as there's a temptation, there's going to be a struggle to stay on track, to stay on trajectory, and to retain our faith. And not just to retain it, but to grow in it. Repentance is getting back on track. Now, in the last book of the Christian scriptures, Revelation, there are letters, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are letters written from Jesus to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, these letters are meant for the whole church, and they point out, you know, there's a description of what's going on in these churches, and part of that description is to point out what that church, or describe what it is that that church is doing that pleases Jesus, that makes him smile, that he wants to commend them for and to, and to bless them for. But they also contain information. They also point out where the churches have gotten off track, where they need to get back on track, where, the, where corrections need to be made, where adjustments need to be made to stay on trajectory towards God. And the command from Jesus about getting off track is always the same. One word, repent. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, verse 16. Chapter 3 and verse 3, verse 19. What Jesus is telling the church is that by His grace you have the opportunity to adjust and to get back on track. That's what repentance is. And that is one of the ways that we in this fallen world continue to move in the direction of Jesus. Faith is number two. Faith is growing increasingly comfortable with increasingly trusting God. As you grow in your faith, faith is, is basically not, it's, it's more than just believing that there's a God. Faith is really about trust. And the deeper and the wider and the more profound and mature your faith, the more comfortable you are with trusting God, God's word, God's promises, God's presence, God's riches. God's blessings in your life to sustain you and to get you through. Now again, faith is more than just believing that there is a God. What is it that James, the brother of Jesus, says about that kind of faith? He says, even, chapter 2, verse 19 of the book we call James, even the demons believe that there is a God. In fact, they believe it so much that they shudder at the very thought of God. But there is no faith in terms of trusting and obedience on the part of the demon. And so later in Hebrews, the writer gives us the Faith Hall of Fame. He's been writing about the need for faith. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. It, it, you know, there are times that are going to be tough. The history of God's people has been about the desert and the tough times. But stick with God. And in chapter 11, what he does is to give us kind of a roll call of the great heroes of the faith. 
And he gives example after example after example of ordinary people who lived extraordinary lives in the world. Lives just like the recipients, the readers of that letter we call Hebrews, were living in. And time after time, he begins the description with these words. By faith. By faith. And he talks about the faith of Abel and the faith of Enoch. And how Noah, who had never seen rain, was told to build an ark. And then there's Abraham and Sarah. And he talks about all of these people who did not receive what they were promised in this life because they saw it from afar. And he talks about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab, but their lives that were commendable are described by these two words, by faith. And the reason that they are examples is because they exemplify. They are examples. They're, 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 they're tangible. You, they're, you can you can read about them and you can imagine them in your sanctified imagination. See them living out the definition of faith found in the very first verse of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is confidence. That increasing, growing trust. It is confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. And so repentance is what keeps us on track. Faith is growing more and more trusting and comfortable in that trust of living life with God by faith every day. Number three is baptism. Being renewed as a human being begins with a new birth. So we have that story in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, who's this super hyper-religious guy, he is a Pharisee, he is a member of the Sanhedrin, he is a religious leader and a well-known teacher in Israel. And he's hearing about Jesus, and he's probably even encountering some of Jesus, his teaching. And one night, because it's a little bit dangerous to be seen, at least by, by Pharisees, with Jesus, he goes at night. And Jesus cuts to the chase, and he says to Nicodemus, I, I, I'm going to tell you the truth, Nicodemus. No one can enter the kingdom of God. Now, he's saying this to a super religious guy. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. In other words, baptism. Baptism ushers in a new life. You participate in your baptism as you you're standing and you go down into the water and you come back up to newness of life. You are participating in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Romans chapter 6 talks about that. The word symbolism never appears. It is a participation in your baptism of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And not only is it a participation in all of that, but it is also that point in life that you begin to look more and more like the Christ. At the very end of Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so what happens every morning is you get up and spiritually, mentally, in your mind, you are basically taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes that look like Christ. That is the imagery that Paul uses in places like Colossians chapter 3. That wherever you go, you should look like Christ because you've clothed yourself with Christ. And so faith and, and repentance and baptism are part of that foundational, uh, the block building of your faith. The fourth is laying on of hands. 
And the laying on of hands, as we have defined it, is that expression of God's active participating in daily life. It's, his, it's a kind of a visceral, visible expression of God's presence in your life. It is a reminder that the invisible God is present. And so, in those examples that we have of laying on of hands, when we lay our hands on another person of faith and ask God to bless them, the way that, 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 uh, that Israel did to the sons of, of Joseph, he is connecting them to a path. He puts his hands on their heads and asks God to bless these boys. He's connecting them to a path. And when we lay our hands on a person that is struggling in prayer, whether it's an illness or there's a big decision that they're facing or there's, there's something that just seems bigger than they are, that visceral, physical touch is a reminder. It is a connection that God is real and His power is real and that God blesses His people. And when you lay your hand on somebody, as, and, and we always do it in appropriate ways and with permission, but when you lay your hand on somebody and pray for their healing or pray for them to receive wisdom on high, it is a reminder that God is real. And then when we lay our hands like on a child, the way that Jesus did, where he gathered them up into his lap, put his hands on them, and he blessed them, we're connecting people to God's care. Laying on of hands, baptism, repentance, faith, and then judgment. Judgment is God's hard stop to all the bad stuff. It's His hard stop to all the bad stuff. And this is what we looked at last week. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. You know, something that maybe we should talk about more, guys like me should talk about more, is, you know, one of the ways that you know that God is working in your life, that, that you are being blessed by God, is through the development of the, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When you are baptized, not only are your sins forgiven, you're participating in the death, burial, and resurrection, but as Paul, uh, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, you're receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, one of the ways that, that that Spirit works in your life is as a power to bring about what you can never bring about on your own. And so as you walk by the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, there are things that begin to happen in your life where there was lots of anger and hate and indifference, there's now love. And where there was anger, there's now self-control. Where there was harshness, there's now gentleness. And after a while, through space and time, as you consider your life and you're, you're using these building blocks to grow in maturity, you begin to realize that the guy that I used to be is a used-to-be. He no longer exists. There is all of this Christ-likeness that is beginning to develop in my life. Where there was impatience, there's now patience. Where there were grudges and bitterness, there's now forgiveness. Where there was this lack of self-control, there and idolatry and greed and materialism, now there is self-sacrifice and generosity. There are all of these things that begin to develop in your life, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that it was not you, because you've been trying all your life to become that person and could never do it. It is only by the power of God and you recognize. And it is a confidence that on the day of judgment, God will bless you into his eternity. 
And one of the things that we talked about last week, too, is that history is not meaningless or aimless. When we, as disciples of Jesus, think about history, it is, we think of history this way. It is the scene of the unfolding of God's good will in creation. That history is going somewhere. And how we live in the present matters for the future because what we look forward to in the future is, and this is the last building block, the resurrection. Life goes on because death is gone. Life goes on because death is gone. You know, we long not just for eternity. I mean, we don't just long to be able to get past death, right? I mean, we want to get past death, but we want to be in eternity where all the injustices... All the wrongs, all of the, all of the transgressions, all of the pain, all of the iniquity, all, all of the pain, all of the brokenheartedness that we have experienced, all of it gets put right. All of the wrongs are made right. And I mean, this is something that goes long before we existed. I mean, 800 years before the time of, of Jesus, you've got this prophet by the name of Isaiah, one of the great Old Testament prophets. And towards the end of the book that we call Isaiah, he writes and he says, See. See. See it. He says, See. See. I will create new heavens and a new earth. Do you see it? I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. We long for the way that things are supposed to be and will be one day. If you listen closely, you can hear something in the earth that just cries out to be made right. And Isaiah says, see, look for it. In your sanctified imagination, see it. The pain of lost loved ones, gone. The pain of old griefs. The pain of old grievances and of deep regrets, completely forgotten. Weeping mothers and the cries in war. Nevermore. And death, never again. Death, never again. My friends, the resurrection defines reality. The resurrection redefines what reality will look like, and it will be different from what we experience today. There will be a day when God wipes away all tears and the, and the former things will never be remembered. They won't even come to your mind. It will be a place where there are no cancers, no death, no pain, no dis, disrupted relationships. There will be nothing to forgive because God's, the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And that is the new reality. And if you want to live in that new reality, that can begin today. And we would love to talk with you. We'd love to study with you. We'd love to converse with you, dialogue with you, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus beginning today and living forever beginning today. 
Let's stand and sing.